wonder if you might uh, first give the Lord a hand clap. Just honor him. We love you. Jesus, you're worthy. And then I wonder if you might give a hand clap to all the volunteers this morning that are serving so hard. The worship team and the media team and, and all those serving in hospitality and the children's ministry. Um, it wouldn't be possible to, to minister to everyone we do. Uh, we do two services. And sometimes, you know, uh, do, I don't know if you know the average attendance for churches in America today are about two times a month. And so what can happen is, is oftentimes you can have a, a service that's a little less attended and then one that's, you know, more attended or then you get kind of, today it's kind of a little more even, the first service and second service. And, and, and what ends up happening is, is it's kind of like, well, we could just go to one service. Well, if we went to one service, let me tell you what happens. There'd be a lot fewer chairs in here and, and so then we'll, we shore up and say, well, you know, um, I think we're good enough. We don't need to reach anybody else. Can you tell me what the name of our church is now? Reach Church. We're here to reach people, right? We want to reach up with, uh, to God uh, with love, uh, with love for God, and we want to reach in with love for one another. We want to reach out to a world in need of the love of Christ. And so it's important for us to keep the vision before ourselves uh, because I believe revival is coming. Can I get an amen? Here's the deal. Um, when you see the world getting turbulent, how many of you would agree the world right now is more turbulent than it has been it's, it's more turbulent than it's been in my lifetime. I got to say that. Anyone else? So, so when you see that, Jesus talks about that you'll, all these troubles are going to have wars, rumors of wars, and you're going to have uh, pestilence, and right? Hey, you're going to have pandemics, and you're going to you're going to have all these things are going to happen. If you've ever read Revelation, uh, there the bowl of plagues and all the all these things are going to happen, and there's going to be troubles. But let me tell you. That the darker and the harder that it gets in the world, the brighter, right? And the more hope-filled the, the saints, the believers ought to be, amen? And we, need, we have hope because we have Christ. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. You want to know something? People can take your life, but you have eternal life. And so what do you have to fear? Oh, come on. You have nothing to fear, right? You have everything to believe for, everything to dedicate yourself to the kingdom of God, to represent the cause of the kingdom, amen? But you got to have courage for that. You have to have courage for the cause. And when you see revival happen, what you see is you see people filled with God's spirit, inspired by God's word, and bold to declare the word of God, bold to live out the word of God that it might make an impact in other people's lives. Why? Because it's not all about me. See, Jesus made it about us, and because he made it about us, it's all about him. Come on. See, if, you, if you'll follow your Savior, the Bible says, pick up your cross and follow him. See, he died on the cross. He died for my sins, so I don't have to bear a cross. That's not what he said. He bore the cross for your sins, something you couldn't do. You bear the cross for the things that you can do, representing the cause of Christ. But to do that, you have to have courage for the cause. In that first slide, hit that. Isaiah, our scripture for this series have been out of, has been out of Isaiah 57, 15. I'm going to read it to you again. And, and, and I want this to really resonate. Get this in your spirit because this is God's invitation for you to dwell with him, to be with him in all that you do. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one says this. I live in the high and holy place. With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. 
I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. He revives the courage of those with repentant hearts. Let me say, when you repent of your sin and you, come, you can't come close to Jesus with arrogance. Can anybody agree with that? You can't say, well, Jesus, look, I'm going to do it my way. And you still need to save me. And Jesus is like, okay, well, we'll do it your way. Is that too serious? Too hard? You cannot come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're going to do it my way. No, Jesus is like, hey, come follow me. Isn't that right? Come follow me. And, and here's the thing. Pick up your cross and follow him. Yes, there's some sacrifice. There's, you're going to have to lay your life down just a little bit. You're going to have to, you know, give up some things that, that Jesus may not like that's in your life. You're going to have to do that reflection and be contrite. Be humble. Be contrite. Be broken over those things that hung Jesus on the cross. Look, there's, there's times, uh, anybody else in here struggle with anger? Give me an amen. Don't leave me up here alone. All right, thank you, thank you. So it's something I've had to work on. And, and you know, when I start getting that way and I start getting, you know, going off the rails, if you will, uh, I, I feel that Holy Spirit or Angie. And it's like, you know, hey, you know, why are you so angry? It's like, I'm so angry because it's not my way. And I have to come back and, and, and focus on the way. Matter of fact, the living way. The truth, the way, and the life. And so I got to come back to the word and I got to come back to what the spirit's speaking. And I got to, what's the truth in this, in this situation? Because I can be at peace even when things don't go my way. Amen. We have to do those things. I don't struggle with it as much as I used to, but I still have my moments. And I got to tell you, for anybody that complains about driving in Colorado, dude, driving in Florida, man, I've said that once here, I think, but I got to tell you, man, I'm just like, oh, man, I, I, you know, I can't do this. But I've used it. It's like, okay, if I'm in the vehicle and that's what I'm doing, I, you know, I'm just praying. I'm spending time with God. You know that any of those times that you've got things going on in your life that you focus on them, Hey, let's call them the giants of your life. The, the things that distract you from God are giants in your life. The things that draw you away from your relationship to God are giants in your life that, that, that you're either falling prey to fear, right? Or, and watch this, or to some, succumb to and allow it to dominate your life and therefore you don't have your life, right? That's why Jesus said, if you'll lose your life, you'll gain it. Any man that would lose his life is going to gain it in following Christ. And that's to deny your way and accept his way in your life. To, to be humble, to be contrite, right? To be crushed and to be repentant. So last week, one of the things that I reflected on was the fact that we have a decision to make. That, that decision to live an extraordinary life, decision being a conclusion or a resolution reached after consideration. And everything that I've been sharing with you is all about um, reflecting on the decision that you have to make to follow Christ. It's your decision. Free will and all. God gave you free will. It's not. The Bible says this, that don't let any man say that God tempts them. It's not God tempting you. We're carried away by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what carries us away from Christ. So confront your sin and repent and what happens is is that you find that you dwell in the holy place with God and when you dwell with God 
His powers that work in you, and there's no giant. No, there's no thing in your life, no person in your life. And let me say it this way. For your marriage, all the challenges that you can see being bigger than God, let me say they're not. For your addictions, oh, I can't overcome this because it's so much bigger than God. No, it's not. It may be a giant in your life, but you need to know that God can conquer that giant for you if you acknowledge him, if you'll be humble, contrite, broken over the things that, that separate you from God and repent it and come back to him. Repentance is a, anyone? 180. I'm going to go this way. I'm no longer going that way. I'm going this way. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. It is your decision. And here's the thing. The worst thing we can do is get to a place of saying it's not my decision. Because that's not the truth. <laughs> Too hard today. It's not the truth. It is your decision. Christ died on the cross to give it to you. I have referred so many times that Adam made a decision that subjected all of us to the futility of sin. Subjected, subjected all of us to, to, to be born to die. But yet Christ, the second Adam, dies on that cross. Right? Remember, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He dies on that wood. He dies on that tree to return your choice back and say, if you'll choose me, if you'll come follow me, I will set you free. Amen? He will fight for you. So it's your decision to live an extraordinary life, the extraordinary life Christ came to give. This week, I'm going to reflect on the idea that where a people acknowledge that their uh, need to be revived by God, we, we acknowledge that I, I don't have life in and of myself. I need to constantly be revived, but I need the life of God being poured into me consistently. Amen? And so uh, you approach God with that right attitude of, of humble, contrite, broken, and repentant. People that make a choice to be part, if you will, of those. Remember me saying that last week? That, that, that passage is an invitation where God says, I dwell with those. And, and when we do these things and we reflect on these things and we act and make that decision, we're choosing to be part of those that dwell with God in the holy place. If we do that, he'll give us courage for the calls. Courage for the calls of Christ to live it out. It's more than just a cliche. It's more than just a statement. It's more than just words we speak. It is the life that we're meant to live in Christ. Is to have a courage to live the gospel. St. Francis of Assisi, how many ever heard of him? Yeah, give me a loud amen if you've heard of him. That's good. So here's the deal. You probably already know what I'm going to say. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, right? It's out there. I mean, it circulates on Facebook. It, and interesting enough is, is that uh, sometimes we can get lulled into this place of thinking, just saying the words is enough. It's not. Those words need to have meaning for our life that, that actually uh, uh, move us to action, to, to live out the gospel, not just talk about the gospel. Amen? Isaiah 57, 15, again, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. I want to say it's just simply a heart that sees God as number one and that life can't be lived to its fullest without him. I, I don't want to be without God. I don't want to be without a relationship with God every day. 
many times through the day. You're driving, I mean, to the point where, you know, I've had people say I'm weird sometimes. You know, when I pray, you know, or when I talk, you know, it's like, you know, I don't just talk about God. I talk to God, and I feel like God is answering me. Anybody else feel that way? God gives you answers. I'm talking, you know what? I really feel like the Lord told me just now, you're weird. See if it's weird to you that somebody will talk to God and God actually talks back to them. Maybe you got to take a survey on your relationship with God. Because oh, God doesn't talk to me, Pastor. God wants to. God wants to talk to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So if you just simply talk to him, look, here's how it goes. Um, how many of you, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the husbands. How many of you husbands, when you first went to your wife and you started talking to your wife, because you're thinking, man, she, I kind of like her. She's kind of hot, right? And, you know, for Angie, you know, how many of you fumble your words a little bit? And, you know, some of you might be smooth, so you just be quiet for a minute. I was not smooth when I met Angie. I met Angie. Uh, we're chit-chatting. Matter of fact, Angie said to me uh, when she first saw me, and I'm like, hey, you know, what's up? She goes, so we, we met in a club. If, you know, you didn't know that, Angie and I met in a, in a club. Am I okay here, or do I need to get back on the stage? All right. So Angie and I met in a club, and um, her first interaction with me was, um, what are you doing in here? You're just a baby. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm 23. She goes, no way. I'm like, yeah. So I pull out my military ID and I hand it to her and she's like, wow. I said, just think how good I'll look when I get older. <laughs> so um, needless to say, um, she thought I was 23. I was 19. Yeah, it was, it's a felony to do what I did. And I hope that I've gone past the time where I could be arrested for it. <laughs> But I'd split my ID in half, a military ID in half, and I glued another person's ID to the back of it that had, you know, he was 23, same height, same eye color, all of that. You know, uh, I think they fixed that problem since then. Because all I did is split the IDs and then it laminated mine back together, and it was like totally legit, right? Um, until two weeks later when Angie and I, you know, we're talking on the phone to the wee hours of the morning, you know, but it's what I said to her when uh, I, I got her to dance with me finally. Because she just walked by me. She blew me off. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't happening. So I kind of, you know, a little bit later kind of cruise over again. I'm like, hey. She goes, what are you doing back, you know, right? It's kind of like, you're a little baby, you know. Um, I said, uh, hey, look, I'm not looking to get married, but would you like to dance? She gave one of those, what? You know, and I, and I looked away and went, what? Where'd that come from? Let me tell you, sometimes God can speak to you and through you, and you didn't even know he was doing it. Because at nine years old, you, most of you know my testimony. I made a promise to God at nine. If he gave me a wife who would love me, he'd lead me through nothing. We come from 21 divorces in our natural, in our natural parents, 21. So I want to tell you that no matter, that giant, if you will, can be overcome no matter what it is in your life. And she danced with me. Can you believe it? And then we start talking on the phone. Two weeks later, we get engaged. Now, any young people in here, do not take that as I'm telling you it's okay to get engaged after two weeks of relationship. Your mother and father would probably crucify me. I wouldn't advise it. I didn't advise it for my kids. 
but Angie goes on a trip. I, I went to NTC, Death Valley, California. She goes on this trip, uh, comes back, and, and through that, I had an encounter with God. And a lot of that had to do with a conversation. See, a conversation I had with God when I was nine, all of a sudden I meet Angie and I'm engaged, and I'm in Death Valley, California, sitting on Teeper Mountain there in a Humvee, calling in situation reports, what we called sit reps. And I hear my name. Now, I don't know how it happens for you. I can't say that. But I know this. God had fulfilled a promise because I had had a conversation with him, a prayer. And in that, it's like, hey, so I've done this for you. It's time for you to come serve me. And sure enough, I come back. I go to church. And I hear the word preached. And it, it just... Just like I've shared in this series, I had a personal revival. God brought me back to life because I had faith in Jesus Christ. And I accepted it. I accepted what Jesus did for me. And he began to transform my life, see, out of faith. You know, fear can often get us in that place of where we're paralyzed and we can't. It's like I can't do anything. i got to stay here. We're going to dig a little deeper in that, if you don't mind. Matthew 4.17 says in the Amplified, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, you regret, you regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to tell you the key to repentance, the key to doing all those other things, to breaking free, is to seek God's purpose for your life in Christ Jesus. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm going to give you a little bit of an understanding of what it means, the kingdom. Look, judgment's coming. Jesus took all judgment to himself. But there is a sure and fiery indignation, the Bible says, for those that don't place their faith in Jesus Christ. See, there, the, the judgments that take place, you've got to understand that, that Jesus took judgment upon himself. And then we judge ourselves. We see we judge ourselves according to the word so that what happens is, is we know the difference between what's following God and what's not following God. And in the midst of, okay, I'll work harder at this. Nope, when we know we're not following God, we're humble about it. We're contrite. We're broken. And we repent. And in that, God shows up because it says, and he will revive you. He will give you courage. Come on. To repent. To those who repent. And you get that courage, and all of a sudden, you start to overcome those giants in your life. So when you think of that, God's purpose, purpose is a synonym for cause. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Let me tell you, you were created, the Bible says, to worship your God. We're created to worship him. Jesus came, the Father sent him, right, that to seek those who would worship in spirit and in truth. In the word of God, according to the word of God, and according to the spirit of God, because the spirit and the word agree. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? So a cause, a person or thing that gives rise to an action, phenomenon, or condition. That there's a change, there's a transformation that takes place because somehow, look, it, there's a mystery to it, Right? Somehow, in, 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 as you place faith in Jesus Christ, and let me say it's an everyday action, it's not a one-time deal. Because the Bible says you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling unto God. 
What is that? That one day I give an account for this life and it's not, oh, Jesus saved me. Uh, I'm 19 years old. I get saved. I made the promise to God at nine. All these things take place. I'm not living for God. I repent. I receive Christ. And then everything got easy. Come on. Do I have anybody that's lived for Jesus for a little bit? Did it get easier? (laughs) No, it did not. So what happens is, is every day I want Jesus to come and be present in my life and have those conversations. Come on. That the Holy Spirit likes to hang around. I dwell with those. Come on. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to make their abode, their home in you as the temple. Living inside of you. Not, not a temple hewn out of stone, but, but flesh that houses the presence of God. That when his holy presence comes in you, he's dwelling with you. And he changes you and transforms you as you have faith in what he is able to do in your life. So let me read that again. A cause, a person or thing that gives rise to an action. Take action. A phenomenon. I mean, it's like, whoa, how did that happen? I've been struggling with this or, or our marriage has been, you know, struggling or our family's been falling apart or my job, you know, I lost a job. Or, you know, and, and phenomenon that when you look to God and you start to call him into those situations that all of a sudden what happens is, you know, he moves and he does a miracle or, you know, he changes the situation because you've looked to him, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, man, how did that happen? And I'd say, look to God all you can, right? So, and it says, or condition, so that condition can change. Let me give you the, the uh, first main point. We need the courage to live for the cause of Christ. We need courage to live for the cause of Christ. And we're going to look at a story out of uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 29. Looking at the life of David here for a moment. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things that went uh, and, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in, a, in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army... And came and greeted his brothers. Then, as he talked with them, there, uh, excuse me, as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistines of Gath, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, meaning he kept taunting and he kept scoffing the Israelites. You know, send out your best champion, you know. Uh, you know, the winner take all, basically, is what Goliath was touting. And sure enough, all the armies of Israel, they, they would flee back to their, their encampment and basically tremble in fear. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said... Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches. Will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Okay, let me, let me kind of put this in perspective. If the United States government contacted any of you and said, Hey, uh, you know, we noticed you've done this great thing and you... You know, you live for God and you've, 
you know, you, you've uh, pushed back the works of, of darkness and we're going to exempt you from all the taxes. How many of you would be really happy about that? Now I want to show you something. See how you respond to that because you're thinking, yeah, that would be really awesome. Let me tell you the word of God and what it's declaring here is that who cares what man taxes you? Who cares who, who wants to defy you? Who cares what giant is pushing back on you? You got to understand how big your God is. Because those things don't control you, you understand. In, in this perspective, you are a part of the kingdom and God is the one that blesses you. He's the king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the last time I checked, he said he, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Do you believe that? If you believe that, it's the same declaration that's being given here to David that the king is saying, hey, you're not going to have to worry about anything. I'll take care of it all. You hear me? Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Unbeliever is what that means. Uncircumcised, that means he's a non-believer. He's given to idol worship. Now he should defy the armies of the living God. The armies... No, the armies of the living God. You are the army of God in, in the new covenant, saints. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride. And insolence of your heart, the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Basically saying, David, you just came down here to see what's going on. I mean, what are you, you're not going to do anything. You should be back home with those sheep. Hey, drop the supplies off and head back home with those few sheep. Well, I want to point out that it was when he was tending those few sheep that he was drawing near to God in fellowship. It's when he was... By himself. You don't want to be isolated, but you do want solitude from time to time. Just you and God. Just you and God drawing near to one another. And in that, something happening in your heart. Something happening in your mind. That no matter what the situation is, I know this. God's bigger. See, uh, many could say, well, David, you're, you're kind of naive. Thinking that you could come down here and ask these questions. You're not a warrior. Matter of fact, you're the runt of the litter of the house of Jesse. You're just a little guy. Yeah, but he is the guy God anointed, right? And I want to say God has given you an anointing. God's given you an anointing to be a giant crushing believer. That nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing in your eyes is ever bigger than God. God is bigger than any situation. Amen. Look what David goes on to say in verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> the little brother. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? See, David saw, you know, the situation. And, and he knew there's, there's a greater cause. And this is what I would, I would reflect on this. It could have been this way. I know he's asking what's wrong. Uh, can I ever ask a question, but it could go deeper to say, 
Why are you hassling me when there's something much more important to be concerned about? I mean, you're messing with me when that guy's out. Like, oh, you want to fight me, but you don't want to go fight him. Come on, somebody. You want to fight another believer, you know, husbands and wives. You want to go at each other or, you know, families, children, moms, dads, you know, friends, colleagues, workers. You know, fight each other, but you got a, you got a bigger battle in front of you. Don't you think you ought to focus on that cause and have the courage to go defeat what is defying God working in your life? Come on. See, David had courage to live for the cause and fulfill his calling to make, this is the reason, to make the name of God known. He knew God and he was going to make him known. We are to know Jesus and we are to make him known to all. It's all about the glorifying of his name. God has given no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And when his name is lifted high, this is what he says, if I be lifted high, I'll draw all men unto myself. I'll draw all mankind unto myself. And I've told you before that words study that and you come out and one of, one of the words that you draw out of that is actually um, going to lead you to the thought that says, lift, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all judgment unto myself. How am I going to draw all mankind to myself? Because I'm going to take the judgment for the sins they've committed. I'm going to love them when they don't deserve to be loved. While they're yet still sinners, I'm going to give my life. So I, I'm going to take on sin so they can have righteousness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on their sickness and disease so that they can have healing, wholeness. I'm going to take on their pain and their suffering, their depression, so that they can have peace of mind. I, I still think, right, the Bible says he's the prince of peace. And we need to see him as being that big in our life. See, I won't I lose my peace. And, and, and look, I, you may struggle with things. You may struggle with depression. You may struggle with, you know, um, addictions or anything like that, right? Or like, as I said, you know, just so you know, anger can be an addiction, right? So I got to deal with that. I got to. I got to choose, and the thing is, is I got to see that God is powerful enough to change my heart, to change my mind about the way I live, amen? David is going to confront this. Look, he knew God, therefore he feared nothing. Not his size, not the criticism of his brothers, not the doubt of Saul, not even the scoffing of a giant. Let me, let me put that in perspective for you. I don't know what what all um, things you guys are pursuing in your life concerning the call of God, but I want you to know there is a call of God in your life. There's purpose. There's destiny for you, right? And when you choose to do that, don't be surprised if you, if you have a kind of situation where you look at yourself and say, man, I don't know if I can do this. You, you can look at your own size, if you will. I will tell you that you'll never be focused on yourself if you set your focus on Jesus. And that will cause you to feel like, you know what, there is no giant that I'm not going to be able to overcome. Why? It's not me doing it. It's my focus on God's ability to do it. And in faith saying, God, will you take care of this for me? Do you believe it will? I do. I think about what we're doing right now too, where it comes to the campus in Florida and this campus. And it's kind of like I get people sometimes that are like, man, why are you doing that? I'm like, well... Uh, the Great Commission. God didn't call me to stay. He called me to go. God didn't call a body of believers to be inward focused. He called them to be outward focused. Then when we come into a meeting like this, it's called the Assembly 
the, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and they come together in an assembly. And what happens is, is we're to be, right, invited, you know, if you will, challenged, inspired that, that we've got a cause to live for. And hopefully we walk out with a little bit more courage about living that out because in our day and age, as I've said before, America has gone backwards in being a Christian nation. It is a post-Christian nation. How did that happen? It happened because people didn't have courage for the cause. Now, look, here's the deal. People said, shut up in the workplace, shut up in schools, shut up. Don't talk about this Jesus. You remember they told the, the apostles that too. Don't you speak of this Jesus. And they're like, well, it's right, whether it's right to obey you or to obey God, we'll obey God. Acts 4, the Holy Spirit's poured out again. They're praying again. It happens in Acts 2. Acts 4, they're praying again for the Holy Spirit to come again. In other words, continually filled with the Holy Spirit because you can't do it alone. There's nothing that you can do of your own accord. God working in you will give you the ability to carry those things out. And what do they do? The Bible says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and proclaimed the word of God with boldness. They had a passion and a zeal and they were not going to shut their mouth. Amen? I don't know the people in your sphere of influence. I would say you know some folks that don't know Jesus. I would say you know some folks that know Jesus that aren't living like Jesus and need the truth spoken to them in love. Come on. But when people come to me and it's like, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing it. See, I don't listen to the scoffers in my life. I don't listen to the critics. We've all got them. You got critics? Anybody got critics in your life? I don't listen to them. You know who I want to listen to? I want to listen to God. I want to listen to his spirit. Because the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone. Look, the natural stuff, the natural relationships, all of that that goes on in our life. I love people. But I don't work for people. I work for God. You can love people. I don't care what your job is. You don't work for them. You work for God. Because you're called that everything you do, you do as unto anyone. Are you with me here? You do as unto the Lord. And so when those moments come for me, my mind, <laughs> I'm set like Flint. I know what God has said to do. Um, I seek after him, and here's what I know. So if people are being saved in Florida and we still have people, I think we've got like seven or eight people going to be baptized next week. If you haven't been baptized, sign up today. Get on board and get baptized because they were called to be, follow Jesus in baptism. But when I look at that, what's going on here, what's going on there, if the harvest is greater, do you think as a church body, do you, do you think we're pursuing the right things if more lives are being changed and transformed? Let me ask you. Amen. So, so it's like, yeah, but, you know, uh, if you're doing that, you're not there. And if you're not there all the time and you're not here all the time, I said, one day I won't be here at all. One day I won't be here and I won't be there. The question is, what did I leave behind? Did I leave people who are equipped to be giant, crushing saints of God? That's all I care about. Did I do what God called me to do to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Do we all come to the unity? Come on, somebody say unity. The unity of the faith, to the, the fullness of the stature of Christ who is the head of the church. Come on. Right? No longer being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, you know, it's not about, I'm not chasing this teacher. Oh, I like that teacher. I like what he preaches. I'm, I, I don't like that preacher, but I like this one. I'm going to itch my ear. See, it says, well, heap up teachers in the latter days. Heap up teachers having itching ears. I like what he says to me. I don't like what that preacher's saying. So let me tell you, that's why you need the variety of the fivefold ministry. That's why Jesus gave five different gifts, offices of gifting to equip the saints. So you don't get complacent. You want to know what 
the number one uh, um, uh, pushback on revival is? Complacency. You want to know what the greatest uh, cause for the need of revival is? Complacency. You want to know what makes us complacent? Hearing what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. Man, that was a good amen. It's a fact. And that doesn't mean, even though I preach with authority intensity, that doesn't mean it, doesn't, it is laden with love. Because people need to hear the truth or they'll never be set free. The great revivalist, Charles Finney, you know who he is. He wrote in, um, I think it's Why Revival Terries. He has a, a whole book on revival. I, I've loved it for years. But his phrase in there, this one phrase he uses, he says, look, there's plenty of people that will line up to give false comfort to sinners. Friends, family, colleagues. Oh, it's okay. God loves you right where you're at. He loves you. God loves you. But never challenge them to acknowledge that they need to be humble and trite and broken for their sin and make a decision to repent. And then what happens is they'll dwell those in the holy place with God. That's, how, that's where revival comes. There is a heightened level of holiness that takes place. Let me tell you, you can't make yourself holy, but God can. By drawing near to him and just acknowledging that he has the power to make you who you know he wants you to be, who you feel sometimes you can't be because there's a giant in your life. Let's go on. See, David knew God, and he was not afraid to make him known. And, and, and that was the thing. So I heard somebody say one time, fake it till you make it. I said, well, Pastor, I'm not really living for God. I just don't want to talk about God because I don't really live for God the way I should. And, you know, that's what, you know, the more you talk about God, the more you'll, in other words, if that's your focus, it starts to come into focus. Right? It's like, well, I won't talk about God. Well, then you end up being buried in this other stuff. The giants will overtake you because you don't stand up and declare. David stood up and declared, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What is it in your life that's trying to beat you down and put you in fear? And you got to have that moment where you just go, you find your voice and you declare. How many of you uh, have seen that uh, story on Facebook? There's a lady and uh, she had no groceries. She was on the radio and she was like, you know, I don't have any food, you know, I'm really poor, I don't have much, da-da-da. And so this guy on the radio hears that he's, he's a businessman, he's, he's an unbeliever, an atheist. And um, what happens is he's like, to his assistant, he said, I want you to go buy a bunch of groceries and go to that woman's house and drop them off. And when she asks you where they came from, I want you to say the devil sent them. So the, lady, the assistant goes to the lady's house with all these groceries. She's setting all the bags out in, in front of her door, and the lady's grabbing them and putting them in the house. And she doesn't say a word to the assistant. And the assistant finally, a little, you know, confused, is like, don't you want to know where this came from? And the lady goes, doesn't matter. She goes, it doesn't matter. She goes, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, if God commands, even the devil obeys. Now think about that for a minute. The Bible tells you that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. If you, okay, God resists the devil and he'll flee from you. Do you know that God says to you, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. It's in that resistance. See, it's making that choice. 
God, I'm humble. I, I can't control this, but I know that if I resist, you show up. Because I'm choosing you over that. Ah, that should have got an amen. And that is the cause that we're called to, to make the name of Christ known, the name of God. That name is a covenant name. When you think about the Hebrew, Yahweh, it's the name of Jesus. Old Testament, that is the name of Jesus. Comes in the New Testament and it's Jesus Christ. Yahweh, to make his name known. David was doing that. Acts 4.12 says this, Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save anyone. We must be saved through him. Lifting the name of Jesus up, keeping him first, is what will save you from any giant in your life. David knew that, lifting the name of God up. He could go into battle, and it was God that was going to win it. So, let me give you our second main point, and that is we need a cause. We need a cause in our life. We can be near God. We gain a courage, but we need a cause to live for. A cause that we believe in. We need a cause that we believe in. 1 Samuel 17, 46. This day the Lord, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There it is. This day. See, I, he stands up in defiance, resistance of Goliath. And he's saying, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Right? And he's going to be the one. It's, it's all about his name. It's all about his glory, not, not mine. Now, look at what I did. Even though David received accolades, the reality is that the glory went to God. Amen. The phone gave me an amen. All the glory went to God. 1 Timothy 4.10. That is why we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God. Who is the savior of all people and especially those who believe. See, that's saying Jesus is the savior even if you don't believe in him. <laughs> Think about that. There's a day coming. In the final day, you know, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will be out of being expelled, sent to hell, and others will be enter in, thou good and faithful servant, into the rest that I've prepared for you. Make no mistake about it, everyone will kneel before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, so we need that cause to believe in but then we need a cause to fight for we need a cause to fight for to live for a cause of the cause of the kingdom of God in our church in our homes in every area of life it'll cost us it will like David cost you derision by even your brothers and sisters in Christ yes even those in the church and who have grown accustomed by the way to being debaters rather than documenters it will cost you in your conversations, if you become a documenter, there are people who will study the Bible and know all about God, and what they want to do is sit and debate. My thing is, if you know all of that, then take action on it and go win the lost and transform people's lives by sharing Christ with them and teaching them the Word of God. But oftentimes it can become, well, I, but I want to convince you of my opinion about this, this version of the Bible. I want to convince you, and i got to tell you, stuff, that stuff is dead. Those are dead works. They won't produce any fruit, any life. 
If you have Christ in you and you know the word of God, hey man, go use it with people that don't know him. And watch the transformation that comes to their life, amen? And you see, um, my friend Larry Kreider used to say, with our, we'd have him do some team training. And he'd have people circle up, he'd get them in a circle. And it's like, now face in, and everybody's facing in, right? And what happens is, is that he goes, this is where we become, become naval lint inspectors. Like, oh, oh man, you got a little, oh look at that, you know, oh your hair's out, you know. So we start, we start becoming critical, we become critics, Right? We become debaters rather than documenters. And I, I got to tell you that the Bible, although, although that we have the written scriptures, the canon, here, here's the thing. It's okay, guys. It's all right. In the mouths of babes and sucklings, he perfected praise. Isn't that right? It, it amazes me how people get distracted by a baby crying. Lock in. <laughs> here's the thing. When you look at that, a person that begins to debate rather than acting on the word that they know, what happens is, is they stop being a living epistle, and what they do is they become, if you will, just a, um, a book. You know the Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And you can quote the Bible to people because you know it. But somewhere, you've got to help them understand how to live that out. You know how that goes? Is you, you walk it out with them. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Live the gospel. Don't be a professional critic. See, um, David had to deal with the accusation of his brothers. The skepticism of Saul again. Scoffing from Goliath. You'll be run, you will run into the same things if you pursue your purpose. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I already told you, that was at that place, the gates of hell. He declares it. And the reality is, is when all of hell comes at you, here's what you know. Jesus will prevail. David knew that. When he went out on that field to slay Goliath, he knew because it was all about declaring God's name. And we can know when we have Jesus first and we're declaring his name. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Know your enemy. People aren't your enemy. So even if somebody it, it, it wants to debate you or wants to criticize you, it, it is really good to just shift the conversation into a place of, hey, can we pray can we invite the Holy Spirit into all of this? Because, you know, without that, then it becomes about us, not about God. Can we emphasize what Jesus emphasized? Because I'm thinking that Jesus emphasized concerning the cause that we're to live for, that it's a cause we're to share. His emphasis was that he gave us a cause to share. See, David had a cause, and his cause was defeat, to defeat the enemy of Israel in order that the whole world, again, would know that God is the God of Israel. In redemptive history, this is important because the mission of God in the world and in history is to redeem people from, er from every nation, tribe, and tongue to the same cause, the cause of Christ. Romans 10, 14, 15 says it this way. How then can they call on the one 
they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Why go beyond just here? Why go beyond your circle? Why, why look for the cause of Christ and the call of God in your life to your sphere of influence and beyond? Because that's what Jesus called us to do. And that's, that's what he's given us uh, by the Holy Spirit and, and through his word, not to keep that to ourselves, but to share that with all who need it. Someone shared it with me. Did somebody share it with you? I wouldn't believe today if it wasn't for people who were sent, people who got up and went, sent to share the word of God so that I might be saved. I can't think on that. It always moves me internally. I know my salvation. There's a living spirit on the inside of me because when I reflect on those moments, I know where God brought me to life. And I know he brought me to, to life for the cause of magnifying his name because it was the name of Jesus. When I heard who this Jesus was, that my tongue confessed, my knee bent, and it was a, I want to follow you. And then Jesus starts telling me, okay, that means I get to tell you how to live your life. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't know that part. But the more I grew, the more I was okay with Jesus telling me how to live my life. Because he, he knows better than I do, right, what's good for me. I'll wrap up with this and the team can come to the platform. John Piper wrote a little book called uh, Don't Waste Your Life. My friends, he said, you will never, ever regret living, giving, and dying for the cause of the spread of the fame of Jesus all over the earth. Never regret it. I don't regret any mission trip I've taken. I don't regret any sacrifice I've made for the cause of making Christ known to people. No regret whatsoever. I do regret times where I've not stepped up. I regret times when I've not prayed for somebody and I felt like I should pray for them. Anybody else with me on that? I felt regret over that. So my thing is this, answer the call of God, fulfill the great commission by, by simply seeing that God will give you courage if you will be, come on, humble, contrite, broken, and repentant. It's not stuff we want to focus on. It's not stuff we want to dwell on. But it is the thing that gets us close to God because we take a place under him. We come under his covering. We come under his care. We come to a place where we know we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. Amen? And I close with this scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what Jesus said concerning the calls. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So our calls is to go, to make, to baptize, and to teach people the ways of God. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet with me for a moment. Pastor Brent's going to come in a moment and just share our next steps. Um, 
God, I want to pray for you. I want to ask you to close your eyes, put your hand over your heart. The Bible says that out of, uh, you know, the heart flows the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And sometimes we can get our heart in a bit of a mess. You know, it, 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 we can become complacent. Ecclesiastes says that dead flies have petrified the ointment. That, that spoke of a censer that swung on the end of a chain where incense burnt and, and smoke came out. And the whole thing about that is that's what our heart is in worship. You don't want to let things get in there because you don't use it. Don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren. We come together corporately and we worship and we encourage one another. Then what happens is, is we're cleaning that sensor out. We're making sure it's clean, right? So that what happens is when we put that hot coal, we said, you know, um, start a fire in me. Let the flames burn deep is one of the uh, songs that, that we sing in worship sometimes. And what is that? What happens is what's in your heart, start the flesh of your heart starts to burn before the Lord. And what's in there can stink or it can smell good. And what smells good is when we're repentant because we're putting flesh under and letting the Spirit of God rise in us. Right? It, don't follow after the flesh, follow after the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the works of the flesh. And so I want to pray for you today that, that you experience revival on a new level in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. That as we seek you, as we follow you, the God, we would see that we can be courageous like David as long as we're willing to lift your name higher than anything else in our life. And that God, in that, you'll give us the power to overcome those things. And that, Father, we'll rise above that and begin to witness for you. And, and Lord, share the gospel and see not only our lives changed and transformed, but the lives of those we love around us, God, that their lives too be changed and transformed by your power. Lord, I pray peace over every marriage in this room. I pray peace, Lord God, over every family. God, I speak into everyone's life, that the careers that they're pursuing. God, that if there's a new road for people, that you open the door that no man can shut. But Lord, when people are where they need to be, I pray that you would show them their purpose, Lord God, for your kingdom in the midst, Lord God, of their career so that they're a witness everywhere they go. For students in here that go to school, I pray, God, that they would be the game changers in their school to bring the presence of God back in our schools. Lord, I pray for revival in every uh, business, in every, Father, uh, place of government in our nation. But we ask you to come and inhabit, Lord God, the praises of your people as we glorify you and do the work, Lord God, that only you can do. Defeat the giant, Lord God, that defies the, the non-believing spirit in this nation. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that we move back, Father God, to be a, being a country that believes in you. Not a post-Christian, but God, Christian nation. That, that every person, Lord God, is impacted by a revival that will sweep across this nation. God, it's something only you can do. But Lord, I know you do it where people look to you and glorify you and I pray that Reach Church Lord God is one of those places that we are a people that lift God's name to the highest place in our life and I pray that your people are blessed as they go today and they reflect on these things and that God decisions will be made decisions to follow you wholeheartedly 
pursue you, God, above everything else in their life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.